All right, we have, we have awake people, and I hope everybody at home is awake. Uh, my name is Sean Gallagher. I'm the IT and National Security Editor at Ars Technica, and uh, I'm here today with, uh, pardon me, uh, with Robin Green, who's f with Facebook, Facebook's privacy organization, uh, with Jim Baker of R Street, and with, uh, I'm, again, I just met him because <laughs> last Brad, Brad Whitman, Brad White, been of the Department of Justice. Uh, and the topic at hand is uh, encryption. Uh, so this was going back two decades. Uh, encryption was something with, with, that had been fought over and it mostly been settled. Uh, there was the clipper chip, a chip that was implanted. It was supposed to be implanted in devices that were going to have encrypted communications over them that the federal government had presented as a standard. And it was fought against and it was eventually ignored by industry and proven to be vulnerable by uh, our absent guest, Matt Blaze, amongst others. Uh, and pretty much it was decided that the whole idea of having a back door into encryption was a bad idea. But now we hear now, uh, and for, for some time over the past decade, uh, going back several administrations, the FBI's leadership has pressed the case for some sort of limit on encryption. Uh, and as, as former FBI Director Comey put it, they wanted a golden key for lawful warranted access to encrypted communications because encrypted communications have become much more common than they were in the 1990s. Uh, to prevent criminals from going dark, evading all forms of surveillance. In the latest version of this argument, uh, Attorney General William Barr has used the ever-increasing incidence of online child sexual exploitation as a reason to raise the demand again. And has asked Facebook in a letter that he signed along with his uh, officials from the United Kingdom and Australia to not deploy end-to-end -end encryption on their, across all of their products for messaging by default. And out of fear that it would allow pedophiles to go dark. And they cited as a reason for this, Facebook being a major source of information about child pornography. About 80% of the cases of exchange of child pornographic information came from Facebook in 2018. So they're seeking, they were seeking to ask Facebook to not deploy end-to-end -end encryption until the company could provide some way for legal warranted access to communications. Uh, technical experts have argued that any sort of backdoor in encryption significantly weakens encryption, the protections that it provides everyone uh, in, in legal communications because it would make encryption more fragile. So the question before the panel here is, is there a way to have secure communications for the masses and especially for people who need encryption to protect themselves against criminals and hostile foreign powers and have legal access under warrant? Uh, where do the Constitution and the laws of mathematics and physics come to equilibrium on this? Uh, can companies like Facebook continue to aid in the fight against child pornography and provide secure communications for the rest of us? So I will allow our panelists to open with that. First, I'll give, let Robin uh, speak briefly about it, and then we'll have each panelist talk briefly about it, and then we'll, as quickly as possible, bring it out to audience questions. Robin? Thanks. Thank you. Um, and thank you, Julian and, and Cato, for inviting me to speak today at, at this uh, very important event. Um, so I want to first sort of stop, 
start by talking about why is Facebook moving our, our messaging services to end-to-end to end, excuse me to end to end encryption. Um, so I started at Facebook in February. Before that, I spent about um, eight years working in civil society on many of the same issues. Um, and today, I lead our privacy policy around the world um, on law enforcement access and data security issues. So starting in February and having the announcement that we're shifting our messaging services uh, to end-to-end -end encryption in March was a pretty exciting time to start. Um, but I think, you know, it's really important to think about why this is happening. Um, ultimately, Facebook has always been committed to helping people build communities, having their voices heard. Um, many of our services, Facebook and Instagram, we really think of as the public square. But what we're seeing increasingly is that people are wanting to have more private communications. They're wanting to you know, have one-on-one -on -one or small group communications and have ephemeral communications. They're more conscious of the private information that they're sharing with one another because they're having more personal communications online, um, whether it's sharing you know, stories or, or personal information about your life and photos um, or transacting business. People want to be sure that the communications that they're having over their messaging service services are secure. Um, and that's secure from Facebook. Um, that's secure from uh, external threats like hackers and other malicious actors. Um, and that's secure from any other unintended recipient, um, including the government. Um, and so we think it's critically important to make sure that people can have that kind of control and, and confidence um, in their communications to know that they have the privacy and security that's needed given how much data is getting shared um, and how private and sensitive those data are. Um, but in addition to that, um, we want to make sure that we do this right. Um, and so we're not just flipping a switch. This is actually a long process. There are a lot of technical challenges um, that we're addressing with doing this to make sure that we do it in a way that you know, is good for users and make sure that we're providing them with the end-to-end -end encryption. Um, but we're also making our services interoperable so that you can uh, have a more streamlined um, and simplified experience uh, across all of our services. Um, and so we want to make sure that we get the privacy parts of that right as well. Um, but beyond that, we have, for years now, been industry leaders when it comes to safety on our platform. Um, as you mentioned, a large portion you know, of, of the information that, that NCMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, receives comes from Facebook because we are so proactive, because we put safety as one of our top priorities on the platform. We're going to continue to do that in an end-to-end -end encrypted space. Our methods will have to be different, um, and we're thinking really hard about how to be um, the leader in industry in encrypted messaging on safety while making sure that people have that same strong end-to-end -end encryption where only they and their intended recipient can see the information. Okay, thank you. Jim? Actually, I was going to... All right, well, well, Brad. Defer, yeah. oh, Brad, go ahead yeah. and kick off from your sure. side. Yeah, so, so let me give you the... Uh, thanks for having me here today uh, to talk about these issues, and I appreciate um, Robin's remarks. Um, we in government, and I think we as a society, are confronting an absolute epidemic of child exploitation and abuse, much of which is facilitated by online platforms through which predators are identifying and grooming their victims and then sharing images of their acts. This includes absolutely horrific sexual abuse of children and toddlers. The numbers are absolutely staggering. In 2018, Facebook made 16.8 million reports to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 12 million from Facebook Messenger alone. 
Now, we are very grateful for these reports. As Robin said, Facebook does an outstanding job of reporting this uh, abuse online, and we're grateful for the outstanding cooperation that we get from Facebook. We rely on Facebook and other companies, as do other governments around the world. Thousands upon thousands of children have been safeguarded as a direct result of these reports. So in March, as Robin mentioned, Facebook announced that it plans to implement end-to-end -end encryption across its messaging services so that it will no longer be able to see the content of the messages on those platforms. It will no longer be able to see these child sexual abuse images. The CEO of Facebook acknowledged, frankly, that, quote, there are real safety concerns to address associated with this shift to end-to-end -end encryption and that, quote, we have a responsibility to work with law enforcement to help prevent the use of Facebook for child exploitation, as well as other social ills such as terrorism, organized crime, fraud, human trafficking, and a host of other social ills. He also acknowledged that after the change, quote, we will never find all of the potential harm that we do today when our security systems can see the messages themselves. So in response to this, the governments of not just the United States, but of the United Kingdom and Australia have written to the CEO of Facebook in October of this year, asking that he not implement the end-to-end -end encryption without ensuring that there is no reduction in user safety and without including a means for lawful access to the content of the communications. This is something as we as the public officials charged with public safety and protecting your children and children around the world felt was our obligation to do. We haven't yet received a response. And we haven't been consulted. Now it's been suggested that pattern analysis of some kind can, can substitute for access to content to identify child exploit, sexual explo exploitation or other harms. We are very skeptical that this can occur. There's really no substitute for seeing the content. You certainly can't identify the children involved without the content. You can't uh, investigate and have evidence to prosecute the perpetrator without the content of the communications. I, I'm not seeing a way to do it, although we're interested in hearing more about that. Um, it's interesting to compare Facebook with Apple Apple's instant messaging service has long been end-to-end -end encrypted. In the same year when Facebook reported 12 million uh, reports of child sexual exploitation from its Facebook Messenger service, which is not end-to-end -end encrypted currently, we received only 43 from Apple in the same period, which is end-to-end -end encrypted. So that might give you some type of idea. Obviously, we, don't, we can't predict for sure, but that's some, maybe some indication of what we're skeptical of and what we're concerned about. To be clear, the government supports encryption. We are not against encryption. We understand, we use encryption in the government. We are responsible also for cybersecurity and prosecuting cybercrime. That's our responsibility. We, uh, we rely on it. We understand that commerce uh, is, is dependent on it, and our society is going to be dependent on it. What we oppose is end-to-end -end encryption that does not permit lawful access when, when necessary. We think it can be done safely. The concern has been it can't be done safely, but uh, look, Facebook Messenger today is not end-to-end -end encrypted, and I don't think people think that it's not a safe platform. Online banking is done today, and the banks have access to all the information. No one says that online banking is not safe. The, internet, the cloud is, by and large, not encrypted, as I understand it. No one says information stored in the cloud is not safe. We think that solutions can be found, and we want to work with the companies to find solutions to this problem. That's it. Okay. Jim, you Sure. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to having a, a discussion about these issues. Yeah, so I've worked on going dark or the encryption issue for a long, long time. And this has really been a personal journey for me, uh, both at the Justice Department, in the private sector, at the FBI, and, uh, and since I've left the FBI. And so uh, I, I take uh, 
with uh, great seriousness the comments that, uh, that Brad has made about the, the victims. There are real victims uh, because encryption does inhibit. It does slow down. It makes law enforcement less efficient and less effective. And in the San Bernardino case, uh, when I was at the FBI, I was the general counsel there, and I thought we had a very serious and solemn obligation to the victims uh, of, the, of the terrorist attack to do everything we could to run down every investigative lead. And so having in our possession uh, the, one of the, the phones of one of the perpetrators, an iPhone, uh, and having, a, having consent from the, the city of San Bernardino that actually owned the phone because he was a city worker, and then having a warrant to get into it, we thought that it was the logical thing to do to try to go and, and get access to that uh, information. Uh, we, Apple disagreed, we ended up in court, and uh, that dispute, or that legal dispute fizzled because uh, a third party came forward and explained uh, that they had a way to enable us to technically get into the phone, and so there was no judicial res resolution of the, uh, of the matter. And so, uh, because the, the case was moot there at, at, at that point because we had a way to get into the phone. So, um, but the, my, my I, I have several concerns about uh, the government's current approach and I've had to rethink my own approach, which was strongly in favor of trying to find a way to enable the government to get access to encrypted communications. And a couple things uh, have driven my thinking on this. Number one is the, the problem the, the, this, at the end of the day, is a legal problem. It's not a technical problem because these sophisticated companies can write software to give access to the government. That can be done. The question is, or the, rea the technical reality is, it, but it can't be done in a way that provides a substantial amount of, of uh, cybersecurity the same way that the kind of encryption systems that we have today uh, do, does. I lost my verb there. Um, so you, you, you can rewrite the software, but it's not going to be as secure. That's the basic idea. The pro so the problem to me is not technical in that sense, like it could be done what the government wants to do, but with significant risks attached to it. Uh, the problem is not the Fourth Amendment, because the government can go and get whatever warrant they want for whatever device or, or system that they want to, to get under the various legal regimes that might apply. The problem is that there is no clear legal mechanism under federal law or under state law to force companies to rewrite uh, their software, to redesign their systems. Uh, the various legal provisions, and I won't go through them at this moment, but they simply don't empower the government to get a court order to force companies to do what the government wants them to do. That just doesn't exist. And so to me, the government, law enforcement agencies, myself, we've been telling the public about this for years, we've been telling Congress about this for years, and nothing has happened. Congress has failed to act. There's a lot of reasons that we could go into about why that is, but they just haven't done it. And so to me, that's just like dealing with reality. That's just the reality. The reality is Congress has not acted, and I don't foresee them acting in the future. The administration has uh, revived this issue recently. There's a hearing next week in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee to discuss all this. Maybe that will start to have an impact, but I, honestly, I doubt it. So that's one reality. I just, I just don't see Congress giving the administration uh, the legal tools that it needs to force companies to do this. The second reality, I think, is that uh, in my view, the country, uh, the United States and its allies, face an existential threat with respect to cybersecurity malicious actors. Our cybersecurity is that bad. 
It is subpar, it is poor. I don't know how else you want to describe it. And so encryption, encrypting end-to-end communications and encrypting stored data and basically spreading the use of encryption wherever we can in the very complex digital ecosystem that we all rely on to conduct our most essential uh, services and business and activities uh, as a society. Um, that is just, encryption is a, is a way, it's not the only way, and it's not a perfect way, but it is a significant way that we can use to protect ourselves from the very, very significant existential, in my view, uh, cybersecurity threats that we face. And so what I'm urging law enforcement, and what I did, and what I'm urging law enforcement to do, is to rethink their approach to encryption. That because they are stewards of public safety, and they have to protect the most people from the worst harm, uh, they need to, I think, rethink their approach to encryption and actually embrace it. I think the right thing to do is embrace it. But recognizing, and, and, and what Brad says is true, there are real victims of crime uh, because this, there are real victims of crimes who will uh, suffer because encryption in certain circumstances will inhibit the ability of the government to do its job. It'll slow them down. It'll make them less efficient. It doesn't stop them. They keep going. They use other investigative means. Uh, but... Having said all that, I just think that it's time for the government to rethink its approach to encryption and embrace it instead of uh, try to find ways to um, undermine it, quite frankly. Thanks. So a couple of questions come to mind. And, and, and first, I want to give you both, everybody a chance to sort of respond to each other. But also, I want to add in that you know, there's a couple of concerns that come up from everyone's points here. And that is, you know, what is driving the demand for end-to-end -end encryption on Facebook right now? And in other on other platforms as well, is a a lot of it is a feeling of lack of privacy because of a loss of trust in some of the platform providers over the past few years. Things like the Cambridge Analytica scandal and the and the spreading of personal information through various means, uh, admittedly uh, algorithmically and not necessarily by people, but there's still a lot of concern about. Conversations being cached for long periods of time, uh, other data being collected from users across different platforms. And then on the other side of the coin, uh, from the standpoint of asking Facebook to not use end-to-end -end encryption, doesn't that just push the people who would use end-to-end -end encryption on Facebook off onto other platforms? There are a number of platforms that already offer it, Keybase, Signal, things like that, that have features that are similar to Facebook's in terms of the ability to share with a large number of people and end-to-end -end encryption capability. Uh, so why, why would you specifically go after Facebook in this case? I understand that they're the major contributor to reports to, to NMIC, but doesn't that create a situation where people who are aware of this debate, who are in that, in that are perpetrators of those types of crimes move into another place where they can already go dark? So if I could address that last point sure. really first. So first of all, on your question of whether people will move platforms over this issue, we obviously haven't seen that to date. Instant Messenger, other platforms you mentioned are right. available now. People are still using Facebook Messenger t today. It's not end-to-end -end encrypted, so we haven't seen that today, as a, is one my point. Second point is, though I want to be very clear, I did not intend to single out Facebook. Facebook has been a good citizen to date by all the reports that I, that I, that I mentioned. Our concern is the shift to a paradigm in which we're concerned we're no longer going to be getting the reports that we're getting today. We would like these uh, rules, if, if we have them, we would like all of industry to cooperate with the government and provide lawful access, not just Facebook, but, but all the other companies as well. Rob. 
So, um, you know, and I just want to say we will continue to be good citizens after after we move to end-to-end -end encryption. Um, safety is one of the top priorities on our platform, and we're thinking very hard and really taking our time to build these new tools um, in a way where we can be confident that we're addressing the very legitimate safety concerns, um, not only of, of law enforcement and the Department of Justice, but of ourselves and, and of the public and our users. Um, nobody wants to be using platforms that have harmful activity on them. And so we're committed to uh, a, a program, basically, of prevent, detect, and respond. Um, and so we're going to prevent. We're looking for ways to identify um, how are bad actors getting in touch with each other, how are they you know, finding victims, so that we can actually prevent those connections from happening in the first place. Um, and then we're looking to detect bad activity. No, we won't have the contents of information. Um, we'll have to change our methods, but we're going to be able to find what that bad activity looks like so that we can take action on it on the platform. Um, and then we want to be able to respond. We want to make sure that people have the ability to report bad activity when it's happening. So if you receive some kind of harmful message or abusive message, you can do a report on Facebook. And if you do a report, you can consent to share with us that harmful or potentially illegal activity, in which case we will have access to the contents and could share it with NCMEC or the authorities. Um, and so things will change. I mean, that's, that's for certain. But what we are doing is engaging in a robust consultation process. We're having conversations with governments and law enforcement about what are the kinds of signals that you are seeing that are helpful that are non-content-based so that we can figure out what are the ways to identify you know, some of these problems. We're talking to public safety experts. We've had consultations with dozens of public safety experts to make sure that we're getting all of the information that we need so that we can build a safe product. And similarly, we're having conversations with privacy experts because none of this works if people don't feel like they have that control and that privacy that they really desire, um, we are seeing a significant shift to end-to-end -end messaging. 85% of messages are sent over encrypted messaging services worldwide. Um, this is what people expect, um, and that's why we are, we are looking to provide it. Um, and the way that people are using their messaging services really demands it because of the kinds of cybersecurity threats that you've mentioned. People you know, are having private communications that they want to keep between themselves and their intended recipient or recipients, but they're also doing business. They're sharing intellectual property information. Um, they're sharing financial information and engaging in conversational commerce. They share medical information. Um, we now do most of our conversing over messaging services, and so we have to make sure that they're secure. Um, the one other thing that I'll, I'll just add is, you know, when we're thinking about how to do safety right, um, you know, that, that was a, a stark statistic about Apple. Um, but, you know, there are ways to make sure that you can continue reporting. Um, I, I will, you know, share that WhatsApp, for example, um, takes down 250,000 uh, accounts because of harmful activity every month. Um, we are able to find harmful activity even when we don't have access to contents. And we're gonna to continue to do so, and we think we're really well positioned to build the safest and the most secure end-to-end -end encrypted messaging service because we have spent so long leaning into safety on our services. Um, so, you know. Is that mostly because of user reporting on, on WhatsApp? 
So some of it's user reporting. We are also, um, so a lot of the um, reports to NICMIC, for example, and again, these are takedowns. These aren't necessarily right, reports to NICMIC. I don't have that number off the top of my head. Um, but we, we will still continue doing scans for, um, for uh, excuse me, abusive content, so child sexual exploitative imagery, for example, um, on our public platform. So all of the public spaces, nothing changes. You know, we're still gonna be looking for abusive content um, on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, it's the messaging spaces where that changes. But there are still some public parts of the messaging spaces. So for example, profile photos um, and group names can be public. And so if you wind up using exploitative imagery as your profile photo, that's a pretty good indication that this is not um, an okay account. Um, and so we would be able to identify uh, you know, that account because of the scanning, um, send that information to NCMEC, um, and then of course take down the account. Do you have a sense that, have you done any analysis to see whether the 17 million reports that we get this year, is there not gonna be any drop off? in the accounts that we get? I mean, I think you have to acknowledge that there's gonna be a significant diminution of the reporting that we get. There I, mean, will, I mean, your CEO has acknowledged I that, can't, I can't, yeah, I mean, I can't speak, I can't speak to the percentage of, you know, decline, but certainly, um, you know, we, we think the reporting will change, right? So it won't be the same kinds of image hashes, um, but we are consulting with law enforcement to find out, you know, how can we, Make make uh, or identify useful information for you that's non-content based um, and that builds upon the WhatsApp privacy model um, when it does come to the data we have access to. Jim, the, yep. uh, as far as other ways to go after this content or to to pursue people in an end-to-end -end environment, what type of techniques have you seen that could aid in in going after? these types of problems that don't require a man in the middle sort of backdoor? Yeah, so um, a, a, maybe a couple different obs observations along those lines. Number one is, um, well, let me, let me back up and, and talk about this issue a little bit more. I mean, look, society's failure to protect, to protect children is colossal and profound, and everybody in society shares blame for that, everybody, because we have not done we, what we need to do to protect children period, full stop. And so even as we have heard from Brad, even with the, the, the current uh, communication systems that we have, we still have thousands and thousands, I think you said, of children saved. Now, I, I'm, I was always worried when I was with the government of actually giving any facts and figures because they often turned out to be wrong when they would send me out with these things but, um, in this sort of area, but in any event. But you know, even by that, thousands of thousands of, of children are being uh, abused and society is failing them now. And the, the failure is systemic, and it has to do with way more than encrypted communications. It has to do with the inability of government to absorb all this material. It has to do with the, the technical systems that government has to deal with this kind of um, material and to, and to deal with these, these perpetrators. It's a, it's a systematic failure across a long, uh, across many dimensions, and society needs to deal with it in part by providing better tools, more money to the investigators and the, and the centers that are trying to deal with this. So for example, to try to think about how to perhaps do a better job, I mean, I think that leads into 
something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is not only, I think, does government need to rethink encryption, it also needs to rethink its investigations and how it does investigations. And I think, again, just embracing reality. The reality is that these systems are there. The reality is that encryption is out of the box. The reality is it's going to be used either in the United States or on other platforms. People are going to gravitate toward it, towards it to protect their communications. Lawful actors are going to gravitate toward it, and unlawful actors are going to gravitate toward it, and they're gonna find ways to communicate. And so government, I think, needs to adapt to the world that we have today to not try to go back to the past where they had all this access to uh, the content of communications. They need to figure out how to do a better job of analyzing data, doing deep data analytics with respect to you know, finding the bad guys and finding the victims. Uh, they, they could invest much more in that. I think perhaps industry could do a job, could, 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 could assist uh, law enforcement uh, with that as well. That's something that would, might have to change some laws to be able to accomplish. But, but doing more, more data analytics, uh, making more use of open, so open, open source information, and I think also reinvigorating government's ability to use human sources, informants in organizations, undercover uh, operations. The government has to, to, I think, do a better job of doing that. In my experience, those are the kind of investigations that are actually the most effective when you have good human sources uh, in, uh, in, the, in the places where they need to be. They're hard. It's harder to do, it's more expensive, it's more time consuming, but in my view, it's ultimately more effective. So if I could just- oh, Let Brad answer that, and then we'll go to questions from yeah. the audience. So I take Jim's point, but look, in an investigation, as you might imagine, in a child exploitation case, there is absolutely no substitute for the, having the content, the access to the images of the child who's been exploited. I would also say, you're not gonna have human intel sources go into that scenario. You might have a toddler and, and, and the individual who's abusing that toddler. There is no one else involved in that transaction. There is no other way to get that information. And if that person is disseminating those images of that toddler online, there is no other way to get that information than to have access to, that, to the content of those photographs, um, is, is what I would say. Um, okay. The other point I would say in, in response to Jim's point is we're not going, trying to go back to the past here. We're trying to update laws from the past to, to, to today. We've had telephones forever, right? And we have a law called the Communications Assistance Law Enforcement Act under which the phone companies have for decades been required to cooperate with the government and provide assistance to the government. What we're asking for is a new, newer, not, in, new, not new now, decades old now, but to update those laws so that the, a different means of communication today that's much more pervasive will meet the same requirements as phone companies have had to do for decades. We've had wiretaps for decades. I don't think Jim is suggesting we abandon those. Right? The, the wiretap is a fundamental tool that we need to be able to do. The question is, why is it different? on the internet. Because, uh, if you, do you want me to? Go ahead, uh, and respond to The that. digital ecosystem has changed substantially and the, the, the volume, variety, and uh, velocity of the communications is just, it's just a different world than it is, than it was it five be. years ago, 10 years ago, I mean, before the really advent of uh, You can have the exact same voice communications via the internet as you can have a regular uh, telephone line and we can get the telephone line ones, we can't get the other ones. I see no legal or moral justification for that. So, so my point is, then go to Congress. Because I, con absolutely, because I, I Congress, agree Congress, Congress is, so the, my, my point is, there are victims that we've been talking about here, the children yeah. are victims, right? Yeah. And other people, kidnap victims, victims of violent crime, there's a whole range of, of victims who exist and who will exist and who will suffer, who will suffer right. as a result of crimes that, the, that law enforcement, proceeding in the way that it does today, 
doesn't, cannot solve as quickly as it might otherwise. Okay, so there's, there are victims there. There is also, maybe, there are also uh, substantial risks to society with respect to our, again, societal failure to build a digital ecosystem that is actually secure. We don't have that. And we are more dependent on that than we've ever been in the past. And if we have a significant catastrophic failure for a significant period of time, I am quite worried about society's ability to function effectively, and I think people will uh, be harmed, injured, die if we have a, a failure like that. So, with victims on one side, victims on the other, how do we sort this out with the risk to, uh, uh, to, the, to the digital ecosystem from you know, doing something that would interfere with the ability to, uh, to have encrypted communications? Congress needs to resolve that. The elected representatives of the people need to balance that, step up to the plate, either pass a law and change the, the landscape or not. But it's not, I don't think it's up to the private sector to sort that out. Companies in the United States, I'm quite confident, will follow the law, whatever it is. So Congress needs to act. And so far, the government has failed to persuade Congress to act. Well, and I think, that's what, I think that's where the focus should be. Mike, that's a, that's a point I've, I agree with you 100% on that point. You have any questions from the audience? Is it, there, we have a microphone. Let's start off with. Uh, all right. Well, I don't think we have a mic, so I'll I'll start up here, sir. Okay. I'll project. Uh, my name is Stephen Keats. Uh, I'm a retired foreign service officer, and I also served two tours in the Bureau of Intelligence and Research. Um, I just have a few comments. On what well, now we have a microphone Very for good. you. Okay, I just have a few comments on what you folks said, and I'd appreciate your reactions to it. Um, first, my assumption is that the vast majority of the people in this room, if not everyone, is against you know, exploitation of children. Of course. And I think it's a red herring to use that uh, because the law enforcement authorities were dealing with this sort of problem and a whole range of other problems long before we had the technology that we're talking about. So there are other techniques to deal with it. End-to-end -end encryption and all the other technologies we're talking about um, have very legitimate uses. They help protect dissidents in third world countries. They help protect business here, et cetera, et cetera. Also technology, you can't make it disappear. If you forbid Facebook from providing something, I'll be able to get it, other people will be able to get it, you know, in one way or the other. So I think it's not really feasible to even do what you're trying to talk about. When the Attorney General talks about having a back door, uh, quite frankly, he's just showing that he doesn't understand uh, the technology that's involved. And I've had conversations with former um, CIA director Hayden, and he is also of the opinion that it's just not possible to do what you're describing. So again, thank you for your um, comments, and I'd appreciate uh, hearing what you have to say. Great, yeah, thank you. Um, that does bring up a number of issues that, that I've sort of got in mind, and that is you know, we've, experts in the field in cryptography have said that if you put a backdoor into a system, regardless of how you approach it, there's room for abuse and there's room for breaking. Uh, there's also the concern that uh, what's, what can be warranted can also be abused in terms of access. We've seen a number of cases where uh, 
legal access has been abused in the past, and I understand they're not the majority, but they happen. So uh, given that and given the, the weaknesses that you would introduce into a system, uh, what, what, is the, what is your response to that? How do you, what, again, this is something that has, obviously legislation has to decide, but from the standpoint of a mathematical perspective, there is no known way, uh, and a lot of people have tried to build a cryptologic backdoor into things that allows for only warranted access. The only way that this sort of thing would work is if there was a man in the middle type arrangement like there currently is, where everything flows through the service provider and you're given access through the service provider. So, and, and the service provider can be compromised. So, how do, we, how do we deal with the laws of physics and mathematics in this? So I'm not a cryptographer, but I can say that the people in the government, the people at NSA and other agencies that have some of the world's leading experts in cryptography think the solution is doable. Um, no less a technological expert than Bill Gates has said this is not a question of ability, but it's a question of will. Uh, the a number of governments have said, Australia, the United Kingdom, the United States, governments in Europe, governments in other parts of the world, have all said that this is doable. But two former let's, NSA let's, directors have said it isn't. Okay, I'm just so. saying there's a difference of opinion. Let's not assume, in other words, that this is not doable. Let's talk about the systems that exist today, right? Th that exist today. Facebook has a system today, right, that is not end-to-end -end encrypted. Okay? Maybe it's not as safe as it will be with end-to-end -end encryption, but it exists today. There's a whole slew of them I could identify uh, today that are available, where companies have made decisions for their own business reasons to maintain access to the information. If they can maintain access for their own reasons because they need it to sell advertising for, or for whatever reason they want to do it, why can't they do that for law enforcement? Why can Apple maintain a key, is my understanding, if it needs to send software updates to phones all around the world, it has a key, right, that, that they can do the send software updates for its phones, okay? They have that key at Apple. They have to protect that key. It would be a huge security incident if Apple were to lose that key and someone could be able to get in there and monkey with their software but they maintain that key because they need to have that for, for access to the systems. All we're asking is that there be a key that we can get at for law enforcement. Are you looking the at any, I, I, pardon my interruption, but are you looking at a, a solution similar to what Australia has legislated, where law enforcement can require a software provider to make a modification to software and a warrant against specific individuals to allow access to their accounts. We're looking for any solution that will, will ensure that we have lawful access. We don't, we're not gonna dictate to the companies which particular method they use. We're willing to have a discussion with the companies about what, what they think is most effective and, and address cybersecurity. As I said earlier, we, we're investigating those same crimes. Uh, we're, in, we're interested in protecting those dissidents the same way, but we think this can be done consistent with cybersecurity. We don't, we don't think it is not achievable. These are the most innovative companies in the world. The idea that they can't come up with solutions that will permit lawful access when they're doing it for their, when they need to maintain their own access, I think is just not credible. You have another question now? Where's the microphone? Oh, okay, there's, there's several. Start off in the back, I guess. Um, Freddie from Open the Government. Um, last year we heard a talk about GCHQ's provision for um, group messaging and lawful access for group messaging, and even the DOJ didn't support that publicly. And so I guess my question is really, why hasn't the DOJ put together a technical solution that they think would work? Um, because absent that, I think a lot of the people in this room are debating something that is sort of a hypothetical. 
we've talked about different options. I've talked about a couple of them today. Again, our position has been we, we think all the companies have different platforms and different services. Different, some of them are device makers. Some of them are making communication systems. They need to come up with their own methods that are most consistent with their business needs and with their, um, with their technology for pro providing the access that we want, as opposed to having a government top-down solution. I think the worst from the company's perspective it would be for our, us to legislate and say, this must be the type of solution that you adopt. So that's our philosophy. Can I just jump in real quick? So, Feel um, free. I'm, I'm quite confident if you dig through the video archives, you will find a clip of me saying exactly what Brad, uh, what Brad has been saying uh, in the past. I, 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 I understood the problem exactly the way that, uh, that he's articulating it now. I guess, you know, just having spent years and years working on this, my, my understanding is, is, is also that there actually is no technical solution that adequately, in the sense of, like, perfectly, protects cybersecurity and provides the government access. It just doesn't exist. And so, uh, it just doesn't. And so, just real quick. And so, you know, yes, the, the companies have uh, different systems where they've made different choices, where they don't use encryption, and, and so on, and they've decided to use encryption on these different things. Uh, but again, given the fact that there is no system that actually provides cybersecurity, uh, you know, that, that provides strong encryption and provides the government with access, that thing does not exist, then if you're going to induce, introduce some cybersecurity risk into a system, then that's a call that Congress has to make. I just come back to that. It's not, it, it, it's, it's the, they've got to legislate if they want that to happen. And they then, on behalf of society, take the risk that some bad person, some bad organization, some bad foreign government is gonna figure out a way to disrupt all the communications that we think today are encrypted when, when you change things in this way, they're no longer going to be effectively encrypted. And society's gonna bear that burden and so Congress has to make that call. And Robin, do you have any, what's Facebook done in this space as far as looking at alternatives? Have, has there been any examination of ways to do uh, this sort of backdoor uh, that you've looked at and, and what have been the results? I mean, technologists have, have said for a very long time now that it's simply not possible to build an, an, an encrypted system um, with exceptional access and have there not be a potentially um, very dangerous vulnerability that can be exploited by malicious actors. Um, it's, it's just not something that's possible. Um, and so, you know, we, we haven't, to my knowledge, invested in trying to build any such system, and we certainly won't be in investing in building any such system in the future. Another question up there, and... Oh. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Chip Gibbons. I work for Defending Rights and Dissent, which is an organization that not only defends the right to political expression, but had our own right to political expression violated. The Church Committee actually cites the FBI's conduct against our organization by, as an example of an abuse of power. So I guess what's really concerning to me is the chilling effect that putting in this law enforcement um, backdoor into encryption could have on free speech. For example, up until two or three years ago, thanks to a Supreme Court ruling and, and the FEC, the Socialist Workers Party was um, immune from certain FEC filing decisions on the basis, but by disclosing the names of their donors, they would be um, making them uh, potentially liable to law enforcement abuse based on our real history. So given that there are instances throughout our history with 
where the government has been the malicious actor, including when it was against my organization, do you worry about putting this law enforcement backdoor into encryption will have a chilling uh, impact on speech or help to facilitate those types of abuses? So <clears throat> my answer to that is we have to depend on our laws and our, our federal courts. What we're talking about here is only court-authorized access. So today, with that court-authorized access, we can wiretap your phone. We can uh, uh, search your home. Uh, we can search your car. We can do all of those things when an independent federal judge has decided that we have probable cause to believe that you've engaged in criminal activity, and only when a federal judge has decided that. That's been our constitutional standard for, since the founding of this country, right? That we can do that, right? We have to be able to do that to protect people, be able to, 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 to search those people's uh, uh, homes, cars, et cetera. So the question now is we have new technology. Should we be able to have that same ability with court approval to protect our privacy, civil liberties, our First Amendment rights, et cetera, when there's a new space? Or are we going to have a space that is immune from that, in which it's an enclosed environment? It's like a, a house that one cannot enter. It's a house that your kids can go into down the street, and if your kid has disappeared, there's no way to get him back because there's no way to search that house. You can't go in there. You get a warrant from a judge, you can't find that child, the same way as you can't get his communications online. So we're talking about a new technology. Is it going to be immune from lawful process, from lawful access, or not? Robin, you had a response to that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a distinction because I, I think what you're talking about is the legal standard, that when you get a warrant, you know, you should, you should be able to execute your search. Right. But it's not just that only a, a law enforcement official with a warrant would be able to access uh, communications if there was exceptional access. I mean, the problem with exceptional access is that the front door for the government is a back door for malicious actors. End-to-end um, -end encryption means that only you and your intended recipients um, are able to see the communications. And there's just no secure way to be able to build in that kind of exceptional access for the government alone. Well, that's where we disagree because, again, we think the companies already have maintained that access for themselves in a variety of contexts. Like I mentioned earlier, Apple will have a key where it can access all the phones and send software to all the phones. Why can't we have that same for the government? Why can we today, as you, as you acknowledge, Facebook has that access today, right? And government has access. And that's been the case since Facebook Messenger was created. I think it has not been a problem to, to, date, to date. But it's only it's on the been it's secure, only on the, right? It's, it's been a secure system today, right? Our users, our users are demanding a well, more secure system. Maybe, but I'm just saying it hasn't been a problem to date. We got up there and then down, and we got three people right there, so we'll start to the middle there and work our way over. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for being here today. Uh, Shannon Vavra from CyberScoop. I wonder if you could speak to the situation we have here. There's obviously dis disagreement between Facebook and the Department of Justice on this issue. Is this a preemption, and can, can we interpret it as a preemption to possible legislation? Uh, for instance, CALEA has been discussed in years past in 2010 and in 2013. Does the Department of Justice have uh, plans to use this moment to put sort of Silicon Valley on notice that CALEA uh, amendments may be coming down the pike? So that's a broader discussion, so we don't have an administration position on that at, at this time. I'd like to follow up then with another question. In terms of uh, speaking to chilling speech, if end-to-end -end encryption is delayed or, or not allowed in a broader sense in Silicon Valley, what can you say to what this would do to the market in terms of your ability to access folks end-to-end -end encryption 
end-to-end -end encrypted conversations if they take them to other markets that's not in the US, for example. Thank you. So we want to work with uh, other foreign governments, like-minded governments, so that we have solutions that are not applicable only to US companies, but to their foreign competitors as well. Uh, Greg Nojai from Center for Democracy and Technology. Uh, Brad, a question for you. Um, you said that there'd be a court order and a lawful process. Is it really always the case? Or um, if exceptional access was built in, um, are you telling us that NSA, for example, wouldn't be able to exploit that uh, exceptional access that was given um, to the FBI and that, the, and that there would never be uh, the use, for example, of Section 702 or Executive Order 12333 to access communications um, through this exceptional process? I'm telling you, the proposal that we're talking about would all involve court-authorized access. But that doesn't mean that the NSA in the past has worked to break other encryptions for the purpose of surveillance. So that doesn't mean that would exclude them from using that, that capability to go after foreign intelligence targets, for example. Well, that's what NSA does. That's what we pay them to right. do is to break encryption today. And so it's interesting that we have this discussion because I think that what people are saying, I've heard a lot of people argue is, well, what's better is why don't you guys just try to break into the system? And that's a better model than having uh, lawful access. I'm not sure why that's safer, why anyone thinks it's safer for us to identify <laughs> vulnerabilities right. that we can exploit in the system and then not tell anyone about them and have those vulnerabilities be out there. Why is that better? Why is that a better model? Well, I guess um, and, and Jim well knows that that is what FBI spends a lot of time doing is to try to find those uh, uh, vulnerabilities. Why is that better for anyone? Why is that better protection? Because we all know, what well, I was going to comment earlier on what Robin said, there is no perfect security. Right. Even, even under these new systems, there's always ways to break in. There, we're, we're talking about a fiction if we're saying there's no system. I agree. There's no, there's no way to build in lawful access that provides perfect security. There is no perfect security. It's always a balance. So the way I think about it is, look, we, it, we, we regulate in other contexts for automobiles. We, we say, okay, you've got to have fuel emission standards, right, that meet a certain standard. We know for certainty that your car is going to be less safe if you have to have a car that is not going to, meet, is not going to be as big and as heavy, and it can, be, can uh, result in more uh, fatalities, traffic injuries, right? But we make a decision as a society that we, want, uh, we have competing goals, and we want uh, uh, to have emission standards uh, to, protect, to have clean air, to have a, a safer planet. And so we are willing to accept that cost. I think it's the same kind of trade-off that we're talking about here. There is no perfect security the same way there's no perfect car that can be immune from any car accident whatsoever. But we make these judgments as a society. And I agree with Jim that ultimately these are things that, should, that the Congress should be tackling. They have not tackled it over the last several decades, but they should be, because they shouldn't be decisions that are made unilaterally by the companies, which is the situation that we're in now. But let members of Congress... I agree. Let, let members of Congress cast a vote when everybody is telling them the result of that vote will be less cybersecurity, less security for the American people in the digital ecosystem. Let them cast that vote. Let them associate their name with that. And more security for all the child exploitation victims, terrorist victims, all the others out there that are being victimized uh, by online activities. Maybe. But the, the failures, with, as I said earlier, the fail, failures with respect to children exist today exists today. The world that you were talking about, the horrible world that you're describing now, exists today and government has failed. But we're able to save many of those children because of the access that we have now. How many victims are there still? Well, and how many able, unknown victims are there? We're able to stop there? them. Let's, let's but, get another question from the audience while we still have time. 
Hi, Sharon Bradford Franklin with the Open Technology Institute. My question is also for Brad. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jim Baker alluded to this issue a little earlier um, about going out there with numbers that might not be correct. So uh, in June of uh, 2018, if I'm remembering the month correctly, uh, it, was, it came out that uh, the DOJ and the FBI had for some time been using an incorrect figure on the number of locked phones that it was unable to access due to encryption. The number was 7,800, and the news account said actually the number might be closer to 1,000, but we're working on it. And subsequently, uh, DOJ and the FBI put up a lot of asterisks on prior speeches saying this number is wrong. I'm wondering if you can give us any update or if DOJ and FBI are working to provide more information as you seek to have this conversation on what the true extent of this problem really is where you have cases that are thwarted by inability, by encryption preventing you from getting access to the contents of phones. So I don't have an update on that. I know uh, that you're absolutely right. The number was erroneous originally. It's still a large number, by the way. It may not be 7,800, but it is, I'm sure it's over 1,000 phones anyway that we wouldn't have access to. And, and it's also important to remember that's only a little piece of the problem. That's only device encryption, and it's only the devices that we have in law enforcement custody and so forth. But to answer your question, did we have an, a new updated number? I'd have to get back to you on that, Sharon, and check with FBI. We get time they may that. have one. I don't, I don't personally know it, but they may We have, have uh, time for one or two more questions. While you're just going there, can I just make a point about these damn numbers? Um, this, the government needs to, if government wants to persuade Congress to do something, it's got to do a better job of counting. I know firsthand how hard that is. It's very hard to do, but they've got to do a better job. Otherwise, they're just not going to prevail. Yes, uh, Martin Moulton, DCLP. Uh, Mr. Baker, why in the world would we trust the U.S. government, the top terrorist on the planet, that has had... The FBI has had information on sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein for more than a decade and has done nothing to incarcerate or investigate the perpetrators of people who have exploited children and girls from all over the world and all over the country and from New York City public schools. Well, I don't know the details about the Epstein case, but my understanding is that it's still actively being investigated, that the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, was still working on it along with the FBI. I'm not in the government anymore. I can't explain exactly what's happening with that. I would tell you that I could not disagree more with respect to your original statement about the United States government being terrorists. That's just preposterous. And so I don't go along with that at all. But with respect to the other matters, uh, you're going to have to ask the government about that. Thank you. My name's Ann Vroom. I guess I'm unaffiliated. But my understanding is, and without getting too technical, that, you know, on the one hand, we have people saying it's technically not feasible to have a backdoor. On the other hand, for example, you talk about Google end-to-end -end encryption. I know that they have do two different encryption uh, methods. One is for data in transit, and the other is for data at rest. For example, when you're going to the cloud, and when there's a gap between switching from the one modality to the other, that's where Google goes in to get data that they use for marketing purposes, et cetera. So my, my intuition is that as a point of fact, the FBI does have access when it wants to from the technical perspective. But the issue is that then the DOJ uh, can't quite use that information because it's sort of, 
it's you know fruit of the poison tree. It's been uh, improperly accessed. So is this a legal matter or a technical matter? It sounds like it's more of a legal matter. Going back to your Congress, Congress point, um, but but technically, even end what we call end to end has numerous snap points where entities, either malfactors or or the FBI, for example, government entities can get in. That's that's really not the issue. So I'd just be interested in your thoughts on that. So as to interject a little bit here, so the point you're talking about is when it's end to end, the endpoints are themselves a point of access. So, but whether the end be the storage on one end or the other, so, right, so the, in transit there's, in, so that happens in software, right? So it would depend upon the software of the provider and that means there has to be some sort of interjection of logic in the software that picks up on the data as it is translated from receive to store. So that would be exploiting the software that the vendor provides. And I don't believe Facebook is, is looking at doing any. I mean, there's, there are a number of steps where that could happen. In fact, I asked Nate Cardozo about this a while ago, which is, you know, couldn't you say have something in the client side where the receiver gets the message and you can process the image to see if it's, if it's harmful? And that's not going to happen because it requires too much overhead in different places. And it's also, it, it totally breaks the whole idea of end to end and it blocks the, it ends the privacy. So, uh, but you know, it is a good question in terms of whether that sort of surveillance, using that sort of interjections of surveillance, is a solution from the from the Department of Justice's perspective. And again, that's something that would probably be have to be legislated to happen because it requires a change in software. So I'm not sure what the questioner is talking about with respect to. Google. She's asking. So the, the 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 way encryption over the wire works is it's encrypted in one form, and then it's received and it's unencrypted. But then when it's stored, it's encrypted in a different way. And with Google, it's encrypted with the user's credentials. And it's not encrypted in the, the public-private key type exchange that happens or the key that's used for the session. It's a totally different type of encryption and storage. So she's asking is, is there a way in the gap between the two to get the information that's passing over and process it for security purposes? For, for I don't know the answer to that technical question, but I think the questioner's comment raises a good point, which I've seen on both sides of this debate. I've heard this directly from many of the companies, which is some of the companies will argue, look, you have access to all these other categories of information. You don't get this, but you can get these other three things. So isn't that good enough for the government? Right? right? We flip that around and say, well, if we can get access to these other things, why can't we get access to this? You say these other things are secure. You've made business decisions to maintain lawful access. You don't say these systems are unsecure. All the things that people have been talking about today, it's impossible to do this in a way that has adequate cybersecurity. Very sensitive data that is on, on these other platforms that they say, for their own business reasons, we're going to maintain access to these systems, but not for these other ones. So they argue, look, we're, we're allowing you to have these other ones. We, we in the government, I'm just saying, we'll turn that on its head and say, if you can allow us access to these, why not these other ones? Because it, it gives the lie to the argument that you can't do it. Because it, because it exists today in many systems. And every company here, here represented or otherwise will tell you, yes, there are plenty of systems today that are secure, that people are, and they're going to continue to maintain access, but they're not going to do, go to end in encryption. We've got and about a minute left now to, for if you two would like to respond to that in any way. 
Well, it's just that they're, 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 it's apples and oranges. Right. Because sometimes, and, and, and it's up to the user to decide how much risk they want to take on that the company or anybody else is going to look at their communications. So if you're using a, a, an email system where when I send you an email, it's encrypted while it's traveling. When, when it gets to me, it's unencrypted. When it gets to you, it's unencrypted. And also the company can look at it. Well, we know that, and we can make a risk-based assessment about whether we want to communicate certain data over that and whether we trust the company. In certain circumstances, however, we don't want the company to do that. And so I want to send you a message, and I want it to be the case that only the two of us can read it. And that's what we're talking about here with real end-to-end encryption. That's what it's all about. And we make that assessment, and for whatever reason, that's the, that's the risk that we, we want to take or don't want to take. And so... So yes, in certain circumstances, the companies make business choices and the customers make choices and they accept the risk or they don't or whatever. But that's the, that's the multifaceted world that we live in today. And encryption's out, end-to-end encryption is out of the box. You know, the cat is out of the bag, whatever, and it's not going back in. And so it's the world we have to figure out how to deal with. And all we're asking is that rather than those choices be made solely for business reasons, that public policy reasons be factored into the mix as those decisions are made. Last word, Robin. I mean, I would say I think you know it's business reasons, but it is it is policy reasons. I mean, our, we care about our users' privacy. We care about the security of their data, and making sure that they can have very sensitive communications in a way where they don't have to worry about it being exploited. Because, you know, there there are many, many cybersecurity threats. Um, and so whether it's stored data and the billions and billions of records that are, that are you know, the subject of data breaches every single year, um, or whether it's other forms of exploitation, um, what Jim's saying is right. You know, the, the world out there when it comes to cybersecurity is pretty dangerous. Um, but you know, you're also raising extremely important points about the importance of, of safety on our platforms. And we're extremely committed to making sure that we get that balance right, that we provide strong end-to-end encryption and find other non-content-based ways to address the safety issues. Um, Because we are committed to safety. We are committed to continuing to be the industry leader in this space. Um, And we really value and and are appreciative of the incredible and important work that law enforcement does to keep the public safe. Um, We're going to be doing our part. Well, I'd like to thank the three of you for this, and we could go on for hours, I'm sure, on this. And I know many of you have questions you still have, but uh, we'll have to take them off stage. So thank you all for coming. Thanks for all for watching, and and thank you three for being here to talk about this. Very important topic. Thank Thank you.